0: Greetings from Washington, D.C. This is the Tightrope. I am your host, Dan Smolin. As we start 2018, we also pass the one-year mark of the Trump presidency, a year that has seen so much change, especially in the portion of the workforce that focuses on the environment, resource sustainability, and social responsibility. And no part of the federal government workforce has been targeted for more deep cuts than the EPA. Yet. Members of the workforce that seek to make the world a better place have never been more energized. In this episode, we interview Edith Richards, a successful career counselor and practitioner of Myers-Briggs Strong Interest Inventory and Emotional Intelligence. Edith also helps scores of workers find their bliss in full time and contracted or gig work assignments that protect the environment and empower people and she tackles a full range of career related topics on her A Top Career blog. While our interview was recorded in March 2017, you will find that her observations and insight remain timeless. For the green job seeking professionals that you counsel and mentor, how now do you help them find success or at least achieve forward momentum in a world that they no longer recognize?
1: This is uh, such a great point that you're making here, Dan, and at the risk of sounding too political, uh, the events of the last couple of months, and uh, in in particular, uh, the last few days have had huge implications, and of course, uh, one of these is for people currently working in the environmental and sustainability areas, or those who are looking to transition into these areas. And these sectors really have been robust in recent years in terms of job growth. So I encourage uh, other people to focus on things that they can control in this uncertain climate. And this might mean participating in causes at a grassroots level and connecting with like-minded individuals. And in fact, this is how you and I met, Dan. And These types of connections, um, yeah, connections and community involvement have a lot of added uh, benefits personally and professionally. We never want to minimize the power of speaking up and voicing our concerns. Uh, There's other things that we can do, too, such as supporting environmental causes, and that includes environmental journalism with publications um, like Grist.org and Inside Climate, and of course, the, the local group here in the Washington, D.C. area, Leaders in Energy. Our success in life and in business often boils down to the people we're connected with. So, building these relationships, just to use an analogy here, it's more like farming than like hunting, and it continues to evolve. And nurturing relationships with good people will, in the end, you know, it's, it's going to be more fruitful. Uh, than mm. a quick attack. <laughs> uh, I'd also like to say in these times that we really need to have a proper mindset and a reality check in place. And the reality is that green jobs are continuing to grow. And we're, we're talking about entry level to corporate CEO positions. So I'm thinking of this time as just a little bump in the road and using this as an opportunity to think about uh, possibilities for the future.
0: Well, you bring up a really good point, uh, a group that I'm a member of, Environmental Entrepreneurs, which is also known as E2, uh, published findings last year that showed we have more than 2.5 million uh, clean energy jobs already, and these are real jobs. These are not adjuncts to uh, sustainable work. Like, for instance, the government, uh, the federal government in 2009 did a green job survey and made dotted lines to clerical positions where maybe the person was working on spreadsheets involved with sustainability, but not actually doing a sustainable job. We have a formidable number of green jobs and many of those are focused on energy. So you bring up a very, very good point. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the struggles that professionals in our space had even before the presidential election was a lack of comfort in pivoting Pivoting perhaps to an alternative work arrangement. Not all of us work in full-time employment. And so the alternatives could be striking out as an entrepreneur, or in the case of the green space, an eco-entrepreneur. Or perhaps earning a living as so-called green gig talent, which is a fancy word for saying contract work taking on assignments, and then at the end of the year, getting a 1099 from the organization or the company that you supported. It is by way of such pathways that many in our space are getting started and scaling their careers. But Mm -hmm. you know, Edith, you you ask most people and they are risk averse. They'll say, you know what, given my druthers, I would rather get a paycheck, not have to worry about about deducting money for uh, healthcare deductions having a provider provide me with healthcare, et cetera, rather than striking out on my own as an entrepreneur or as gig talent. So given the realities and the fact that these pathways other than full-time employment can be very stressful, how might you, in your role, get a risk-averse person, a professional, to even consider becoming an entrepreneur or a contract worker if those pathways, as risky as they are, might get them closer to the work and the career pursuit that they want?
1: So uh, there's several factors, I think, that uh, drive some people to pursue entrepreneurship. And as you mentioned, one is risk taking, but there's others too. Most successful entrepreneurs are more comfortable than the average person uh, taking risk, but this doesn't mean that they're going to be successful. They also need to have confidence and they need to have the drive to pull off these risks. They also need to be flexible. And let's face it, there's some people who just do better in a non-standard work environment, a non-standard nine to five type of job. Uh, And these are people who thrive when they're allowed to work on their own terms and accomplish tasks in their own way uh, without someone micromanaging them. And along these lines, uh, many successful entrepreneurs aspire to leadership positions in their fields and they need to have a certain amount of control. And these are people who might be disillusioned with their company's poor performance or working for someone who's incompetent. Now, on the flip side, of course, there's going to be a lot of stress with, uh, with becoming an entrepreneur. And, that, uh, and with that comes added responsibility. So entrepreneurs need to really be adept at stress management and juggling multiple responsibilities because if their business fails, they don't have anyone to blame but themselves. And then, of course, there's a lot of people who choose uh, who choose entrepreneurship for the money. But, you know, if the money is the only thing that's driving you, um, there's another risk because you can get frustrated if the business isn't profitable in the first few years. Right. And then... Uh, you know there's there's also people uh and you implied this uh in your question dan mm-hmm. who uh, people who have no other choice uh but to become entrepreneurs or to go down this path uh and it's really not easy to get a job in a corporate job in the sustainability field they're really Competitive, there's so much competition, especially here in the in the D.C. area. But for people who are committed to these types of careers, they have to ask themselves if they're ready to venture out on their own, and it really is a big leap to take. And I, I want to encourage uh, people to remember that entrepreneurship isn't for everyone, and that's okay too. There's so many ways uh, to contribute to our world and help our environment, and that may mean just volunteering time or contributing in other ways outside of our careers.
0: That's a really good point. I mean, if you're in a full-time <laughs> employment situation doing a job that's not necessarily green or sustainable, perhaps through your leadership at work as a volunteer. Mm-hmm you can fulfill a lot of those purposeful career related goals. And for instance, do skill based volunteerism at a company that maybe is so conventional, like a like an accounting firm. You know, one of the biggest is Deloitte Consulting, one mm-hmm. of the biggest consulting and management firms in the world. You know, the work that they do isn't necessarily green or sustainable. However, they are a world leader in skill based volunteerism that puts their accounting talent in the field doing positive things helping people learn skills that make them better at financial literacy perhaps or learning how to dress for success getting people off the street and into meaningful jobs and learning the structure of work and of the workday and how to save money and how to manage budgets and so forth so you're right there are a lot of things we can be doing that you know can expand our horizons
1: you know, and there's more and more organizations are supporting active volunteerism too, and are encouraging their workers to take time off to pursue these ventures. So, um, so absolutely, this is something to think about as you're you're choosing um, choosing your next career path.
0: Sure. If you were to speak to somebody who was even considering a work arrangement that's not traditional, a full-time employment situation, one that involves striking out as an entrepreneur or perhaps as a contract worker, healthcare is going to be a central issue of that. Not everybody has a situation where they're married to a spouse who has a full-time job and gets healthcare as a result of their full-time employment. Many do, but some don't. And when that's not the case, I would imagine that that becomes a lever. Do I, don't I? Do I feel able to handle the risk of going out on my own and getting health care insurance? And I guess the big driver of this is going to be the Affordable Care Act, ACA, or what's also known as Obamacare. And for those who have been living under a rock for the past month, you may not be aware that the Republican majority in the House of Representatives was unable to come up with a a plan to repeal and replace the ACA. So the ACA or Obamacare is still the law of the land, warts and all. And even that gives people the willies, a certain amount of uncertainty. And so not knowing what will become of health care coverage, as an example, how does one still make a go of being self-employed
1: this is a really excellent point and one of obviously as you're implying one of the main reasons people might choose not to pursue entrepreneurship or non-standard a non-standard career path is because we have to pay for our own health care and retirement benefits by doing so and this is absolutely a huge factor to consider if you're thinking about going off on your own Uh, Definitely do your research. You're you're mentioning um, risk aversion uh, quite a lot, and one way to mitigate uh, risks is to go in with as much knowledge as you can on the subject. Know what your options are and talk to a financial planner. For some people, the advantages of having their own gig, uh, being their own boss and setting their own hours, working for a cause they believe in, all of these outweigh having to purchase your own health care. So, I mean, no matter what path you choose, whether it's being an employee or going off on your own, there's always going to be pros and cons. Mm -hmm. I would um, encourage people to know their values and prioritize them. And this can help them to make the best decisions for themselves.
0: You know, an interesting thing that happened, and I know you deal with people who are often at a second act or a third act stage in their careers. Uh, but the plurality of the workforce now, and probably very soon the clear majority of the workforce, will be comprised of people from the millennial generation, which you talk to different people, you'll get a different count of as, as to how large it is. It could be anywhere from 75 million to 90 million people. Uh, that's a formidable force of of the workforce, a formidable share of the workforce, and their values are, as we know, very enmeshed with sustainability and social responsibility. They're interested in, in work that's part of their life, that's part of their day. Like people of my generation, you had your the work portion of your day was eight hours, the rest portion of your day that was eight hours, and the uh, everything else part of your day. Right. Millennials enmesh work as part of their lifestyle so for instance gig work may be very attractive to them for the freedoms that gig work would provide so it's really in our national interest to fix the healthcare system that we have and more importantly and and i guess globally find a way that our youngest talent in the workforce the the sheer force of our workforce can portabilize those benefits we, we don't put, we don't make it easy for entrepreneurs or gig workers to do that as we do for people that are working in a corporation and perhaps contributing or having contributions made to a 401k program, or if you're in the public sector or working in education, a 403b. So do you have any ideas of how we make that conversation a win-win for everybody, so that our lawmakers say, you know what? For the long-term financial sustainability of our society, let's make this work.
1: Right. Um, so, what we're talking about here is is uh, collaborating, collaborating with each other, and collaborating with lawmakers, so that, as you said, we can all come out with a with a win-win in the end. So. I think it's a good thing uh, if I can um, do a little pitch here for emotional intelligence, and I know we're going to be talking about that a little bit. But um, what we're really talking about here is related to to attitude and effective Mm -hmm. emotional intelligence is about achieving balance. So if we think about it, our emotions are one of the main things that can disrupt our ability to communicate and persuade others effectively. And when people are upset at each other in these types of situations that you're you're describing here, um, where potentially you know everybody's out for themselves and mm. they're all acting like mercenaries, and we're not just in those situations. We're not going to communicate effectively a lot of the time, and rationalism ends up going out the window. Mm. But when we can control our emotions, we have a better chance of getting our point across effectively. And that also means if we can sense the emotions of others, um, we can then draw conclusions about what it is that they're feeling, and we can better relate to them in a more meaningful way. And that's Mm. ultimately going to result in building credibility with each other that 's going to result in building credibility and buy in right. so having yeah, so having appropriate balance, being aware of your strengths and your stance on an issue, and taking active steps to work on weaknesses, this is absolutely something I believe will affect our ability to be successful not only as a green or an entrepreneur mm-hmm. uh, but as an individual
0: interesting I, I've often used the the saying it's better to be smart than to be right and I think that plays on emotional <laughs> intelligence whereas you have an objective in mind of where you need to go <laughs> you don't always have to put your mark on everything to make your point in the wake of the election I'm making a conscious effort not to put the TV on and watch saturation coverage of the drama that's going on in our little community here of Washington, D.C. It serves no purpose. It keeps you up at night. And perhaps a lot of your clients are watching the news and wondering what the heck is going on and feeling like the permanence that they've built in their careers is suddenly impermanent. What's what's keeping your clients up at night now, Edith, that maybe wasn't the case prior to November 2016?
1: I I hear a lot about fear and anxiety uh, about the political situation, about the economy, about terrorism and war and, you know, all these issues that are going on in the world. And there's also a lot of fear about what's happening close to home and how it affects us. Uh, And that can often manifest as um, stress in our, our personal relationships and also stress at work you know, to tie this into what we've been talking about here, uh, if stress and work, whether it's due to your boss or, or meeting performance measures, things like that, this is one of the biggest causes of anxiety. And for those folks who are listening now who have lost their job uh, or in danger of losing their jobs, you know, we're hearing a lot about this lately too with budget cuts and certain programs being eliminated Mm. uh these these are you know this is one of the the biggest derailers you can ever face and the the knockdown effect of these incidents can be extreme and it affects our families and our our health and this can spiral downward if we don't get a handle on it right away what i've often seen from people who are stressed out or anxious is a reactive approach rather than a proactive approach And a reactive approach, it's like panic or anger or venting frustrations in a way that ultimately isn't productive. And for for job seekers, this often involves going to Indeed.com and sending out the same generic resume for anything that they encounter, not necessarily reading the entire job description, Mm. uh, contacting people out of desperation, begging for a job, any job, and obviously, you know, this is going to be a turnoff to employers, because let's face it, no one wants to be around someone who's desperate. <laughs> a more prudent approach, uh, which isn't, uh, this is going to save time in the long run, but it also results in better opportunities, I found, is to take a step backwards and take an honest look at where you are now, get a good good, solid understanding of your strengths and weaknesses and get feedback from others. And this might mean taking the time to to mourn the loss of a job and get over the emotional setbacks that you might be experiencing. Whatever emotions and stressors are going on, these are going to affect you in one way or another. And people often don't realize that these frustrations come out in their meetings with other people, and that actually prevents Mm. them from obtaining the opportunities that they're trying to get. So in stressful situations like this, I really think the best thing that you can do is to take care of yourself, your mind and your body before embarking on a career change or a job search.
0: You know, that's so. You, you mentioned some very, very interesting things. I have heard this before. I've even felt it, that when you lose your job, and you're still at the company and the organization, you haven't left the building yet, one feels mm-hmm. as if one is at their own funeral. And um, <laughs> mm-hmm. it is, it's gotta be up there with the loss of a family member as one of the most traumatic things that a person can go through. I can't imagine what people, especially in the Environmental Protection Agency, are feeling right now. You know, for our listeners out there, many of them know of all federal agencies, the Trump administration has announced that the EPA will receive the biggest haircut. 31 percent of its operating budget is slated to go bye-bye, and as a result of that, one fifth of the EPA workforce will be eliminated. That's 20 percent of the workforce. So there's, it's, it's, we're not talking about a handful of environmental professionals out there. We're talking about thousands of people not just in the uh, DC area, but throughout the United States. And I think we have an opportunity here to speak to them and say, it's okay, you're allowed to grieve. Now let's let's turn that emotion into a positive thing and take all those wonderful things that you've done to make the world a better place, to clean up our environment, and to protect wildlife and habitat. To to turn that value proposition into something very positive. So I hope we can do that. What could you say directly to people at the EPA now who are pacing the floors of their apartment or home at night, thinking what what's going to happen next? What what words of comfort could you give them?
1: It's uh, wow. It's um, it's so hard in a situation like that, especially as you mentioned uh, for an organization that's as um as important as the EPA is. And mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I just I feel for them. I feel for all of these people and all of these people who have, especially the ones who have been there for years and are doing such good work. Mm-hmm. Losing yeah, losing your, your job, it is, it's, it's a, such an emotional experience. And um, it's easy for somebody on the outside to look at that and say, you know, hey, everything's going to be okay. Let me know what i can do to help and of course the other person is there thinking well yeah get me a job help me here mm-hmm. and i think um for uh in terms of those people you know acknowledging acknowledging that uh this is what you're feeling and taking the time to grieve this is Really, one of the best things I think that that you can do is to whatever it takes to get yourself into an emotionally uh, stable position, so that you can be at your best to meet new people and to interview and job search successfully and get that new position. And there are so many people here in the area who want to help uh, the. EPA offices there in Crystal City and in, in Arlington. They're really close to the Arlington Employment Center, so I can put a pitch in for for Arlington. Uh, this is it's a resource that's offered by Arlington County to to help these people who are in transition. And there are just so many great resources available, all free of charge. There, uh, there's a number of good workshops on. Uh, social media, on writing a resume, uh, interviewing effectively, uh, things like that. And then, you know, there's people there to help with the unemployment benefits and training uh, that might be available uh, for people who are transitioning. Uh, And there are a lot of benefits for people uh, uh, in this situation.
0: You know, one thing I just thought of on day two of the Trump administration we had here in our little town the largest uh, gathering of activists I think ever. Uh, The Women's March on Washington was huge. It showed the power of frustration turned into action. People from all over the country, some even from around the world came in as they did protests in other parts of the country and across the planet. So I I guess my question is, is it okay to be a, a, a career activist? And if it is, how do you do it without crossing the line of impropriety
1: uh so well let me let me clarify that what do you what do you mean by career activist here <laughs> what,
0: so what a what i mean by a career activist is that you're taking to the street to fight for what you believe in in let's say in the case of somebody working for a federal agency for the work that they're doing and the job that they hold is it appropriate? Mm-hmm. When is it appropriate to lend your career voice to something public and activistic and when does it cross the line of well maybe this isn't appropriate for the work world. Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, there's that's actually a really good question and uh for me I I think these these uh Situations like this, it, it really boils down to the individual and what their own comfort level and values are. Some people might be able to, to make a go of that, and they might be very comfortable doing so. But as we were talking about earlier, the more risk-averse folks uh, you know, or the, the people who have this as an interest, but, maybe they don't have the education or training or background to pursue a career in one of these areas. You know that might be a little bit a little bit more difficult. So I think each person has to come up with um, where they fall on that spectrum and going through an honest self assessment before thinking about pursuing that and getting somebody to to talk to them about. You know, hey, what are what are your your values here? What are your motivators? And is it in fact realistic to make a career out of this? If so, what mm. do I need to do? You know, uh, doing the research, doing the hard work for that. Uh, now, what I've found with a lot of folks is that they have these sort of nebulous ideas here, but when it comes down to practicality uh, and they start to put in the work to do the practical side of things, you know, things might not become quite as interesting then and lose focus. Right. Um, so I I really think it's going to be helpful for folks like this to talk to somebody, uh, whether that's a, a coach or... You know, a career counselor like myself, or somebody who works in uh, helping people to start up businesses, whichever of those uh, people would be most helpful, definitely seek them out because there, there again, are are people out there who specialize in these areas.
0: Interesting. You know, in our area, I, I think the federal workforce thinks that they have to follow a code book very scrupulously. We have something called the Hatch Act, which keeps federal employees out of uh, partisan politics. It's, a, it's really a good thing. But I think beyond that, it gets to be a slippery slope. And maybe some people feel like, well, I, I can't lend my voice to this. Well, why shouldn't they? You know, you're know, you not influencing an election, but you're talking about something uh, cause-related that's important to you. I, I think that's going to be an interesting question ongoing, is how has that changed? Somebody who's in a career path that is public-facing, like somebody at the EPA, And those that are left after the cuts, what can they lend their voice to? And should they? I think they should. But what form would that take? So I I think uh, we hope that you'll come back and visit us, uh, you know, at a future point as well. And maybe we can look back at this question and see if it's changed
1: at all. Yes, absolutely. Uh, from an organizational perspective, and I'm including the, the federal government here, there's been an increasing trend in hiring referrals, and many organizations are offering bonuses and other incentives for this. And I predict this is going to continue. Yes. And there's also been, been this trend uh, towards big data and using a number of predictive assessments to hire the best talent for the role. I'm hearing more about not only hiring top talent, but retaining them. And this is something organizations are going to have to focus on more as individuals. We pointed out earlier, mm-hmm. uh, with, especially with the millennials, they're moving from organization to organization and we're not staying at the same place for right. 30 years. Right. Uh, and there's, there's not enough, Uh, companies, in my opinion, who are putting efforts into the long-term benefits of employee engagement and leadership development uh, and building relationships with both employees and clients. The more engaged your employees, the more productive the workforce is going to be, and as a result, the better the product and the greater value to your clients. And then, you know, obviously, there's going to be less turnover Mm -hmm. and um, more profitability as a result of that. Uh, and mm. I really do think that companies that are remaining rigid and and stuck in the past way of doing things in terms of their talent management are going to miss out on the greatest employees and the best opportunities.
0: You're right. And it costs a fortune to replace talent. So three, yeah. th- I, I see three things happening, at least in my work as a recruiter. Number one is that companies and organizations are turning the model of acquiring talent into their organizations upside down. In the old days, uh, I'd get a phone call from somebody to say, find me somebody who has the following skills and the following attributes. If you think they're good, put them in front of us, and if we like them, we'll interview them. That often works okay, but what it doesn't necessarily do is establish an emotional fit check, meaning does Mm -hmm. this person mesh well with our organization or perhaps more importantly do they add something that we don't already have so under the old model which a lot of organizations still do the fit check is usually the last thing that gets figured out and then the candidates going through this long process of interviews only to find out that the existing team doesn't like them or maybe they don't think that this person has the right skill set it actually has mm-hmm, to do a lot mm-hmm. with emotions so flipping that model around allows an organization to call in a, a professional, sit them down for a cup of coffee and say, I don't have a job for you yet, but I wanted to have this opportunity to get to know you and see if there might be an opportunity to work together. Now, that works both ways. It gets the talent uh, mm. charged up, but it also establishes whether or not there's an emotional bond in the works there. Uh, some companies do it atrociously, but a lot of companies mm-hmm. are starting to yeah. do it well. And they're doing it based on the notion that we have invested in this person and it's in our best interest to make sure that it all works out. And so it's making sure that uh, things great and small are done well, training, interaction with other employees, uh, understanding of corporate missions, understanding of your job spec, being able to adjust the job spec if for some reason the original one doesn't meet the company's mission or perhaps the person's skill set so we're doing that better i think the third thing is that more and more companies and organizations i think are investing in chief talent officers whose role is to make talent not only happy but productive and enduring meaning uh they are focused they are happy they are productive and they have a long-term value proposition and a long-term vision for their role in the company and the organization.
1: Right, and um, it's it, along along those lines for the for the individual uh, for individuals and how this might affect individuals. Um, at the same time, there is this unfortunate factor in the world that we live in um, mm. that has to do with uncertainty in the job market. Right, and for several years now, full-time jobs have been replaced by part-time and contract positions. And yes, they are in some of these organizations that, you know, I think are, are resistant to change uh, and kind of stuck in the past uh, many times, not always, but many times. Right. Uh, and I, I'm concerned, you know, I'm concerned about people, especially who are working in the environmental fields. But I'm also concerned about uh, people who are in education and um, and the arts, yes. uh, and yes. you know a lot of these are positions that were relatively safe in the past, and uh, it's it's not the the case anymore. Right. And every day I'm seeing people who are blindsided. Um, Indeed. And. Yeah, it's, uh, it, one of again, one of the best things that, best advice that I have for people is, you know, to, to be proactive and uh, just know to, to have a nest egg in place and to have a, a really good network in place.
0: <laughs> well, we have one last question for you. So I understand you are about to start a new chapter in your career. What is next on your agenda?
1: Yeah. So uh, so from a personal standpoint, um, I understand very well what a lot of job seekers are going through right now because I'm going through it myself. And after over 15 years with my employer, I was suddenly let go. And this happened to me very recently. Mm. So I'm still reeling from the emotional effects of that. You know, in addition to the obvious financial ramifications of job loss. There are huge psychological consequences, too. You know, and I've, I've touched on a few of those before, but one of those that I'm really just starting to get a handle on myself is how huge our jobs are to our self-image. Yes. You know, I, I've, been a, I've been a career counselor for most of my professional career, mm-hmm. and the thought of not doing this work anymore is literally painful to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's... um. It's very important for me to get a handle on this uh, before I make any important decisions about my own future. And, you know, I still feel like I'm not at my best place yet. I'm not in the most rational place to interview and network at my best. But, you know, I'm slowly getting there. (laughs) And, in fact, I'm actually documenting my experience uh, into a podcast series. And listeners, our listeners can find that on my website Uh, www.atopcareer.com And I hope that my journey Can help and inspire others I have several podcast series uh, On my site And Mm -hmm. this one is is different from my other ones Because it's completely unscripted and at times it's uh, pretty raw <laughs> emotionally, but for me doing it, it's actually been therapeutic in a really weird way. So I'd love for uh, for listeners to check that out if they get the get the chance. And you know, just a, a final note, Dan, about mm-hmm. about this job loss. I actually predicted years ago that I might be in this position that I'm in now, uh, and the fact is that there are so few of us who are. Safe in our jobs and and if a layoff can happen to me, it can happen to anyone, so i can 't stress enough how important it is to be prepared and This is why I started uh, you know my own blog years ago, and mm-hmm. it 's you know now morphing into something else, which is great uh, i 've aligned myself with really good people over the years, mm-hmm. and these are people who are helping me now as i 'm transitioning and rebranding myself. Uh, and these are the things that are going to save me. And so for all the, um, the green giggers and the green job seekers out there, I, I hope that you too can look at your job search as an opportunity to learn new skills and to believe in your strengths. And if you're an active job seeker, uh, You know, my my other big thing here is please don't rely on the Internet to land your next opportunity. Uh, Networking with as many people as possible, preferably in a face-to-face situation, so important. And above all, take care of your physical, your mental, and your emotional well-being, because that's the baseline for everything.
0: Thanks again to our guest, Edith Richards, for walking the tightrope with us. A link to our website is available on our podcast page at dansmullen.com. Do catch up with our past episodes on Apple Podcast, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and our podcast page at dansmullen.com. And please let us know what you think of The Tightrope and suggest topics that you believe we should tackle in future episodes. Write us at info@dansmullen.com. At From Washington, D.C., this is The Tightrope. I'm Dan Smolin, and do remember this, our best days lie ahead. Have a great and successful week, everyone.